Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 157 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a pretty darn good start to the 2023 year. Hope you had a great 2022. Or if you didn't, you know what? We're on to a new one. Um, we're going to jump straight in to this episode with my standout seven, and obviously the opening to this episode is going to be unlike any other opening we've had ever, because what we witnessed as a football audience on Monday night was unlike anything we've seen in quite some time, in the entirety of my lifetime, as long as I can remember watching football. So, first and foremost, um, we're not going to dive too, too far into it, because obviously, if you're a football fan, and enough of a football fan to be listening to our show here on a Saturday pre-Week uh, 18 action. Obviously, you're pretty deep in the trenches. You know that DeMar Hamlin is communicative. He's awake. Supposedly, he's communicated with the team. Um, obviously, he sustained a once-in-a-lifetime level fluke injury, right, in what happened on Monday night when he collided with T. Higgins and then went down, got up, and then went down not to get up until, well relatively recently. Um, kudos to everyone involved, being Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor, realizing that game wasn't going to go on. There was an early report, supposedly, they were going to warm up for a little bit and then play. That wasn't realistic, um, especially after seeing the reactions of the Bills players on the field. That wasn't something, especially considering we heard that CPR had to be administered. I don't think anyone was ready for action to go on in terms of a football game at that time, at that stadium, you know what I mean? But, um, kudos, there were some reports, you know, they were going to warm up, like I said, but the NFL did the right thing, the game was initially suspended, then postponed, and now canceled, so while we're here, let's talk about the ramifications of the game being canceled, which, like I said, it was the right move it, in terms of scheduling, and it's a little crass, I know, but it's what we have to talk about considering the time of the season we're in and considering, I mean, realistically, now that we know, hopefully, that DeMar Hamlin is out on the other side of this, that we can talk about the football implications, and Zach Taylor today seemed to be uh, a little disappointed with the way things played out from a league perspective in that, this game being canceled, obviously coming into the game, we'll take a look at the NFL standings real quick. Coming into this game, Buffalo was 12-3. and The Chiefs were 12-3, and though they had just won, so they moved to 13-3. and The Bengals were 11-4. and So there was a situation playing out where if Cincinnati had won to improve to 12-4, and they would be within striking distance of tying Kansas City and therefore leapfrogging them for a one seed, or at the least, they would pull into a tie with Buffalo and then leapfrog them for the two seed, putting them in position to play against the seven seed, which is currently unclinched, right? Right now, as we sit, Cincinnati is sitting at the three. I don't believe they can move down, but that would come down to win percentage. No, I, I don't believe they can move down. I mean... We're talking 11 and 5. 11 out of 16 is a 68.75 win percentage. 11 and 17 for the Chargers wouldn't catch them. So they would be sitting as the three seed, which would put them in a position where they would have to play 
Uh, or no, excuse me, not the Chargers, obviously. The, uh, the Jaguars would be the four. But <clears throat> the Bengals would have to play the second lowest wild card, which could be the Baltimore Ravens. Or, well, let's just go through the uh, situations here. Per Adam Schefter, obviously, and they've been officially announced since this announcement. Um, if Baltimore is to defeat Cincinnati in Week 18... They will beat them twice, but will be percentage points behind because one team played 16 games, the other played 17. Therefore, if Baltimore beats Cincinnati and they are scheduled to play on wildcard weekend, the home site of the game will be determined by a coin toss. Wow. Um, if Cincinnati wins, or if Baltimore and Cincinnati are not to face off in the wild card, the game sites would be determined by regular scheduling procedures. A statement from Roger Goodell, As we considered the football schedule, our principles have been to limit disruption across the league and minimize competitive inequities. I recognize there's no perfect solution, which is honestly quite accurate. The proposal we are asking the ownership to consider, however, addresses the most significant potential equitable issues created by the difficult but necessary decision not to play the game under these extraordinary circumstances. And I put the added emphasis on extraordinary because, as I said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime sort of unfortunate situation, right? This is, uh, yeah. It gets even deeper if we get into a position where the AFC Championship game will be played between either Buffalo and Kansas City, or Cincinnati and Buffalo or Kansas City. So here's your scenarios per Adam Schefter. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win or both tie this upcoming weekend, a Buffalo versus Kansas City AFC Championship game would be hosted at a neutral site, which to my understanding has not yet been announced. Kicking around some ideas, just thinking about this, the first thing that came to mind for me would be Indianapolis or Houston because I assume they'd want a dome stadium. And off the top of my head, I mean, they could go Detroit, but considering we're in the winter, I'm not sure how the weather's going to be in Michigan at that time. If Minnesota's eliminated, I doubt they would be happy to be hosting an AFC championship game, but it could be doable. Um, maybe somewhere like Atlanta. I'm not actually certain where the Super Bowl is this year. Super Bowl 2023 is State Farm Stadium in Arizona. Which could also be a possibility considering things are being set up, but also considering the influx of people that will be coming to Arizona at around that time, you know, I'm sure they would love the boost to the local economy, but I'm not sure it would be something they could do with that quick of a turnaround. We'll see. Um, scenario number two here. Buffalo and Kansas City both lose this weekend, and Baltimore wins. A Buffalo versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site. So that scenario would leave the technical one seed as Kansas City. They would be 13-4, and four, Buffalo would be 12-4, and four, and Cincinnati would be 11-5, and five, and they will have won their division by default because of percentage points. Third scenario, I think we might have already mentioned, but if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins, a Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site. Okay, um, now that we've gotten the logistics out there, uh, let me know what you guys think.
Social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, you know the deal, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Uh, or comment section, if where you're listening has a comment section. I tend to think it's it's rough, right? Because if we're talking purely logistics, this, I think, is the best thing, as Roger Goodell said, they could come up with. Um, could they have tried to rush this and play the game on Tuesday? Perhaps, but things were still up in the air and nothing was really known about any potential recovery of DeMar Hamlin, to my knowledge, on Tuesday to where they'd have to turn around and play that game that quickly. Um, the only other potential idea I could think of would be a situation where you'd have it sort of like baseball does with some late-season games where if they're rained out, it's like, oh yeah, we'll get to it. And then if it's not necessary, they're like, eh. And they just let it slide. Sometimes teams will play 161 instead of the 162. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen. So, theoretically, and this is not a great idea, I will posit that immediately, but I don't know that there really is one. Um, theoretically, it could have been a situation where, let's say this upcoming week, the Chiefs beat the Raiders, right? The Bengals beat Baltimore, and Buffalo beats the Patriots. Okay, all three teams win, right? Which is pretty much treading water. You'd be in a spot where you'd say, okay, Cincinnati and Buffalo are going to go play a Thursday night game after week 18, or maybe even if you want to delay it a whole week, because you're going to have to delay the playoff games anyway. They're going to play one game. It's going to be the NFL's equivalent of a game 163. It has never happened, to, to my knowledge, I mean, not in the Super Bowl era at the least. It is a winner-take-all game, right? If the Bills were to win that game, they would clinch the one seed. If Cincinnati were to win that game, they would then improve to 13-4, and four, pulling them into a tie with Buffalo and vaulting into the two seed, thus clinching the one seed for Kansas City. I don't know. The reason, obviously, I think this wouldn't be possible is the sheer amount of economic impact it would have. I mean, you'd have to reschedule the entire playoffs back one week, which is not impossible, I imagine, but it's also probably not something that they'd want to do for obvious reasons. Um, I don't know. Obviously, the Super Bowl being in Glendale, you don't have to worry about weather for the Super Bowl, but in terms of travel accommodations... People would be pushing back hotel accommodations a week. I don't think that's something that would be easy to do. On top of the fact, I'm not certain with the policy with a lot of these places where it'd be, well, you made the reservation, you got to pay a fee to change a time or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Um, that's the only other thing I could think of. Otherwise, realistically, suspending, postponing, and then canceling the game with this neutral site sort of outcome is the best thing they could do. And I can understand the anger from someone like Zach Taylor, where he says, you know, we just wanted it to play by the rules, and they say it should go by win percentage, and now we're making up stuff to kind of try and accommodate a situation that we didn't really put ourselves into, and that is accurate. You're not wrong. He's not wrong. But, at the end of the day, not to go Spock on you, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and there is just not a conceivable way to get this game in. 
it wouldn't be fair to call the game a forfeit, right? To call it a Cincinnati victory, that wouldn't be fair. The game was much too early. There's also no policy and no history to fall back on in the NFL of that. So if we're going to break new ground, we might as well do it in a way that's more fair than forcing Buffalo to take a loss or forcing both teams to take a tie on their record, right? Um, Calling it a no contest, I think it might be one of the first no contests in the history of the NFL, if I'm being completely honest with you. I don't have the Elias Sports Bureau on my side like some of the bigger networks, but I'll, I'll say at least in the last three decades it is the no contest, maybe back to, you know, when they were playing with scab players and things like that, but, yeah. I feel for, I feel for Cincinnati, because they're really put in an untenable situation here. You know, that you can't make too much of a fuss, because it's a very delicate situation. Obviously, they're not taking anything away from Buffalo and DeMar Hamlin in the situation, but they're also... Supposedly, this was passed with 25 of the necessary 24 votes. Now, mind you, there are 32 teams in the NFL. So, who voted against this? I was not made aware as of going live here late Friday evening. I imagine Cincinnati ownership was one of the votes against. I imagine potentially Buffalo ownership, because they were in line to host a possible AFC championship game. Right? Um... I don't think Kansas City would necessarily have a problem. Would Baltimore have a problem? Well, if they win in Week 18, they probably would, right? Because that would have put them in a pretty good spot. But either way, that's where we sit right now as of Friday evening in the DeMar Hamlin situation and how that impacted the AFC playoff picture. Um, In terms of the short term, in terms of the long term, I hope that this is a one-off. I hope, as I said before, it is a once-in-a-generation sort of thing. I hope that's the case. I truly do. Because we've seen some some awful injuries. I mentioned the one earlier in the year. I keep coming back to it. Tua Tonga-Vailoa on the ground with his hands kind of warped. You know, it's a jarring image to be stuck in your head. You look back at injuries like the ones to Ryan Shazier or to Jermichael, Jermichael Finley of the Packers, and it sticks with you. It does. And uh, I wonder, I doubt this will become a larger sort of situation for the league, but it's really not all that crazy that people that are around this guy day in, day out, they always say that it's like a family and things like that. Well, if you just watch someone as your family member get carted off in an ambulance and they weren't moving at all, yeah, that might shake your spirits you might not necessarily be focused on the football game at hand. Um, I believe there was a Bengals player who said it best. Who was uh, it was one of their O linemen. I apologize for forgetting the name, but he said, you know, this is a a weird situation to be in because it's not like we're in week six. That's a good point. We've had postponements. I think a few years ago we had our what was it a Tuesday game or a Wednesday game? And it was very weird because of I forget. I think it was weather or COVID. No, it was COVID. Yeah forced us into that weird situation. But the thing is, we're in week 18. We don't have any fat left on the bone. You know what I mean? That we could cut into realistically without having a larger money impact, and it's a business, right? Um, like I said, I hope this is a one-off. I think everyone does. hope that DeMar Hamlin comes out of this the other side uh, as best as he can, right? 
In terms of a football career, I don't think that's necessarily the most important thing here. The fact of the matter is that the EMTs were able to resuscitate him and bring him back. And, you know, he can be in that hospital room to interact with his family, to FaceTime with his teammates, and that's all that really matters. Um, Moving on as best as we can here, because, you know, we try to keep things between the lines here on the show. I say that all the time, but when you get put in a situation like this, there's not really much... You can do it. Has to be at the f- the forefront of everything, if we're being completely honest. Because, I mean, let's be real. That's something we hope to never see again on the football field. Number two in the standout seven. Let's talk Tennessee Jacksonville. This one's going to go on tomorrow, which is a little weird to me. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought this was prime Sunday night content. But I guess the NFL disagreed with me. They felt Lions-Packers was better, and that's fair. There's more star power there, I guess. But, I mean, Derrick Henry, one of the best running backs in the league. Trevor Lawrence was a number one pick. Could be one of those future QBs of the NFL. He's definitely had a turnaround season in what I've called his second rookie season. Um, Weird to me that this one winds up on Saturday. Let's just take a, you know... A quick look at this one. This past week, the Jaguars had nothing to play for. They sent Trevor Lawrence out there, threw for a buck fifty. They won thirty-one to three. Travis Etienne looked good. Um, their whole team looked good. They blew out Houston. Houston is just not very good. Um, Tennessee coming off a long layoff here. They went with Josh Dobbs against Dallas. He was okay. They didn't have Henry out there. They knew it was going to be a little bit of a problem. Uh, the defense did pretty well. They picked off Dak twice. I believe they forced a fumble in this one as well. You know, not bad considering they're playing at a disadvantage without their starting quarterback and without their star running back. They lose by two TDs. Coming into this one, and this is something I want to discuss a little bit, the Titans are reportedly going with Josh Dobbs, and I find that one kind of weird. You know, I'm not saying Malik Willis is this superstar in waiting, but... He was a relatively well-regarded college QB. He was regarded by some to be the best QB in the draft. Obviously, he didn't get taken higher than all the other QBs in the draft, but that's not always really indicative of who the best QB is. He winds up going third-rounder, mid-to-late third-round to Tennessee, He goes behind Pickett, he goes behind Ritter, who we've seen in Atlanta already, um, in a QB class that wasn't really stacked, to say the least. But, I mean, you picked him up. I know he hasn't played very well. I'll be honest with you, I mean, look, I picked against him when they played Houston because I said he didn't play well against them the first time. And that was a fact. You take a look, he's 1-2 and as a starter. Okay, who's he faced? He's faced Houston twice. They won the first one. They lost the second one, and he played against Kansas City, and they lost by three. I mean, he didn't do much, but they lost by three. He's not really costing you too much here. I don't know. I guess they figure Dobbs is more pro-ready at the time. I'd like to think, since Willis has been around longer with the team this season, he knows the playbook, but maybe Dobbs has had some contact with their offensive scheme before. You know, guys bounce around, coaches bounce around as well, so... It's a weird one to me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. If you're a front office member with Tennessee and you just picked up this kid Willis and you're thinking, well, we're not going to throw him in 
Maybe they'll have him in some gadget plays. Maybe that'll be interesting. In a, not in a Taysom Hill sort of role, but he'll come off the bench and run a little read option. He'll throw a deep bomb here and there. I don't know. It could be interesting just to have him as a, a, a flare in the offense. Because outside of Derrick Henry, this offense is nothing special, in my opinion. They've got some talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I like Robert Woods. But, I mean, come on. This this is not this is not the offense that it has been in years past, especially without Tannehill there. Not that Tannehill is the best quarterback of all time, but he is a competent to above average NFL QB. Right? He's usually not going to lose you games. Well, <clears throat> not talking about that Cincinnati game last year. But either way, it'll be interesting. We'll get into the pick'em portion and we'll get into the nitty gritty, and I'll tell you which way I'm leaning. Though you can probably guess from what I've said so far, but intriguing to say the least. Number three in the standout seven, let's talk Miami Dolphins fading from the playoff picture. They get leapfrogged by the New England Patriots. Patriots currently the seven seed. If they win, they're in. It's just that simple. Um, Wow, this was a weird game. This was a really weird game. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater was playing especially poorly. He winds up getting injured and throwing a pick six to end his day. Skylar Thompson comes in. He didn't play great. He didn't play that bad either. Um, Realistically, they didn't get much out of their running game at all. Tyreek Hill goes four catches for 55 in this one. Three catches for 52 for Waddle. Mike Kosicki just two for 18 The difference, unfortunately, for Teddy Bridgewater was that pick six. And realistically, it was the turnovers, period. Two interceptions out of Miami. Mac Jones took care of the ball through the air. No picks. They didn't do anything crazy on the ground either. Um, They ran for a little under 80 yards on 20 carries. Nothing crazy. Um, They did just enough, the New England Patriots, to win this one at home. And I kind of feel bad for the Dolphin fans out there because... I'm not going to say this was your year, because it is a stacked American football conference, um, as it's probably going to be for years and years to come, considering the quarterback landscape in the AFC. But this was a burst on the scene year for Tua, albeit tremendously battered with injuries. Um, You consider the fact that if they were full strength, they would be a very dangerous wildcard team, in my opinion. Just from the big play threat and ability of their wide receivers, coupled in with Raheem Mostert's penchant to break one now and again, I don't know. I think they could be, and maybe if they get in, they still could be. Maybe Tua will find his way back out there. It was a dislocated pinky that took Bridgewater out of this one. He wasn't benched, which is, I mean, it's hard to play QB with hand injuries. Hands, shoulders, elbows, you need all of that intact. Um, they sit on the bubble right now, though they are facing the Jets in a backup quarterback bowl. Of course, we had to get one of those in. Backup quarterback bowl to end the season with playoff implications. We'll see what happens. I'd say this, though. For New England to bounce back from the awful, 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 no good ending to that game against the Raiders, in which I still think that wasn't a touchdown catch, and then, oh my goodness, that was the worst last play I've ever seen for a team that's tied um, kudos to Bill Belichick and the coaching staff to get them here. And, you know, they got a little bit of luck, obviously. Tua being injured, Teddy Bridgewater going down in this one certainly helped them. But here they are, scratching their way, potentially, back into the postseason. Speaking of division rivals, 
helping other division rivals make the postseason. The Green Bay Packers shellacked the Minnesota Vikings in one of the more predictable, unpredictable upsets we've seen. If you remember, if you listened last week, first of all, thanks for coming back. If you didn't, you can go and check in if you'd like, or I'll sum it up for you. I said this is a game that Minnesota always loses, right? This is Kirk Cousins. He doesn't win primetime games. Well, this was a mid-afternoon game. There they were at Lambeau Field, and I said, you know what? If you want to win, you won the division already, but if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man sort of thing, right? Go in there and punch them in the mouth and show them you're just as good as them, right? Well, um, they went in there, and they got punched in the mouth, and they did not show them a damn thing. I mean, Kirk Cousins throws three picks in this one. They give up 41. They're down 27-3 at halftime. I mean, Rodgers throws for a buck 50 in a game where his team scores 40. 40 points. 41, to be exact. Some help from the special teams and Keyshawn Nixon, who I believe was questionable for this one, but he got out there. He's been explosive for them. And all of a sudden, if you're the Vikings, you have to be sweating bullets. Because if we look at the playoff picture as we sit right now, the Vikings get vaulted by the San Francisco 49ers. They're sitting at three. They can't fall to four. But sitting at three, now they're in a potential spot here. Or actually, yeah. No, potential spot. If they stay at three, they're going to have to face the New York football giants, who are not the best team in the league, but they just took you down to the wire a few weeks ago. You were in a spot where if you won... You can try and play for that two seed at 13-3, and three, and you might have, you know, been playing, right now it would be Seattle, it could have been Detroit. You're not going to face those teams now. You're going to face a Giants team that was riding high at one point in the season, and they should have the confidence to know they can play with you. Rough spot for Minnesota, and kudos to Green Bay for toughing it out. I mean, let's be realistic here. Beginning of the year... I was thinking this is a team that's going to lean on their duo of running backs. They don't have the receiving core. They've still got a decent defense. Well, they went out there, and eventually they ironed out the kinks, and here they are, looking at a win-and-you're-in scenario. Now, percentage, or or tiebreaker, rather, right now has Seattle at the 7. However, if Green Bay wins against Detroit, to my understanding, Green Bay will vault over Seattle via tiebreaker, and they will be the seventh seed. If Green Bay loses to Detroit, Detroit would need the Rams to upset the Seahawks to send them to the postseason. So Seattle is rooting for themselves and rooting for Detroit. Or a tie. I guess a tie would help them as well. Uh, In the Lions-Packers Sunday night showdown to end the season. Tremendous performance, and uh, honestly one that I should have and realistically did see coming. Number five in the standout seven. Let's talk about Ron Rivera a little, huh? So maybe it was me. Maybe I prematurely put Ron Rivera on the hot seat. But after last week's game, when I heard what... Look, I don't know if he was being sarcastic. I saw some people say he was being sarcastic to the reporter who asked him about their potential upcoming elimination after Washington lost to the Browns, as we knew they would. After they lost to the Browns, after reinstating their formerly benched quarterback, I know that's a mouthful, uh, he was asked about it, and he said, we can get eliminated? I I hope for Commander fans everywhere 
that he was just he was just clowning around. You know that Ron. You know that Ronnie. Ron Ronnie's got that sense of humor. He usually doesn't seem like it, but I'll take your word for it. Um, they sent Carson Wentz out there for whatever reason, and he throws three interceptions, and he doesn't look great. And what do you want me to tell you? I mean, they lose to they lose to Cleveland. Nick Chubb goes for seven yards a carry in this game. Deshaun Watson throws three TDs with a 50% completion percentage. I mean, what do you want me to tell you, Washington fan? I don't understand why he made the move. I've said before, I think he's on the hot seat. I think he's, all right, well, I got I to gotta push a button. I got to do something, right? I got all these buttons in front of me, and, and the machine's not working. All right, well, I'm going to push some, start pushing buttons and see if it works. Okay. Um, not something you th- usually see out of a coach who's led a team to a Super Bowl previously, but uh, a little odd. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, I will give a shout-out to Taylor Heineke, who was apparently rocking a Shane Falco uh, jersey from the replacements, Keanu Reeves football movie. A lot of people say it's awful. I love it. I love it, one, for him doing it, because in the film, Shane Falco, Keanu Reeves' character, is a scab brought in. He's a college flame-out QB. He leads the team. Then they, you know, cross the picket. The star QB comes back. They go to him, and then they go back to Falco. And I guess that's kind of how he's feeling. He's feeling like, well, you know what? They went to me, and then they said, "Mm, maybe not so much. And now here you come crawling back to me. I've said before, I think Heineke is a decent quarterback, and on the QB market this offseason, he could be one of the more... uh, gettable QBs, I should say. Are you going to be able to get Tom Brady if you're a team like Carolina? Maybe not, but you could get Taylor Heineke. That's possible. Shout out to Taylor, and uh, shout out to Ron Rivera, just pushing buttons to push buttons. Number six, let's talk about two losing teams this year, just because we're almost at the end of the year. We won't talk about them for a little while. Let's talk about the Vegas Raiders putting up a fight going into OT with Jared Stidham at QB. Um... I won't be that guy and say that they probably could have won this game with Derek Carr at quarterback because I watched Derek Carr lose them a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, fair enough. I think maybe the San Francisco game plan did not expect Jared Stidham to throw the ball in excess of, you know, 35 times, um, 34 plus times, I should say. Uh, I guess they probably expected more Josh Jacobs, who had a decent game, you know, Wound up with 21 touches in this one for a little under 100 yards and a touchdown. Pretty good game. Brock Purdy did his thing. Threw one pick in this one. Didn't really matter. Christian McCaffrey was everywhere. He wound up with, what, 25 touches for 193 yards. Ayuk looked good. Um, They're going to be getting Debo back eventually here. George Kittle, you know, he appeared. He caught a touchdown. Touchdown, excuse me, four catches. I don't know what the answer is for the Raiders. I've discussed this a few times now. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of befuddled at the fact that they could bring in Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers in the league. In the league. And they also, to my knowledge here, we'll double check the old Statarooney. I believe they brought in Chandler Jones. Yeah. Chandler Jones, who not too long ago was one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL. He had ten and a half sacks last year. This year he just has four and a half. Um, that would be the lowest total number of sacks he's had in a season where he's played ten plus games 
in eight years. He played 10 games in 14. He had six sacks. As a rookie, he played 14 games and he had six sacks. Every other season that he's been out there, he's had 10 plus. And unless he gets five and a half sacks this week against the Chiefs, which would be tremendous. Um, and I guess not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, it's like a 1% chance. Um, wow. I don't know how you can add an elite pass rusher and an elite wide receiver and somehow get worse, but here they are. They were a playoff team last year. They took Cincinnati down to the end, and they... I don't know what they're going to do, right? Where are they going to go with QB? You've already heard the murmurs that they might be in on Tom Brady. Are they going to trade Derek Carr to the Jets? I've heard people say that. Are they going to outright cut him? I don't know what's going to happen there in terms of contract things. It's very weird. Very weird spot to be in, and, you know... Josh McDaniels, looking at you, buddy. Uh, They also have to re-sign Josh Jacobs, who's having an outstanding year, 1,600 rushing yards on top of just under 400 receiving yards. So he's coming in at a 2K all-purpose year um, with 12 touchdowns coming into week week 18. Uh, I don't know. Weird spot to be in for the Raiders. They put up a fight. Give them credit, I guess. The other team we're going to throw in here that we've discussed, honestly ad nauseum considering their lack of performance this year, is the Arizona Cardinals, and there is a rumor floating that it's all but guaranteed that Cliff Kingsbury is going to walk in to the front office on Monday, which would be January the 9th, and he will be handed his walking papers and told that he is no longer an employee of the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Is it going to be Sean Payton? Is it going to be an offensive coordinator? Is it going to be Biennemi finally getting a shot? Is it going to be Byron Leftwich? Is it going to be, you know, somebody we haven't thought of yet? A D coordinator, maybe. Will they poach somebody from a Detroit team with, you know, a lot of chemistry and things like that? They really coached him up this year. Would they do that? Would they poach somebody from Buffalo like the Giants did? You saw they had a turnaround. We'll find out. Um, if that's the case, I mean, the writing was on the wall. It also came out that, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, Kyler Murray, I said 10 to 12 months, he's probably going to miss a a chunk of next season. They said he'll be ready closer to the start of the year, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Then recently, there was a headline that he's almost certainly not going to be ready for opening game next year. Opening game, using the baseball term. Week one, obviously. Um, Yeah, I, I would say that's fairly obvious, but now that it's relatively confirmed, we'll put that out there. Very odd. Um, Where do they go? I don't know. I think it's a short-term coaching solution because Kyler's not going to be there all year, so their team is not going to perform as well. I mean, if you can get a high-value... I use high-value loosely here. If you can get a high-value veteran backup QB like a Jacoby Brissett, and that's why I say I use it loosely, who can kind of make your team tread water... Maybe you can have a situation where late in the year he comes back and they're in it. You know, need I remind you that technically the Browns were in it for quite some time this season with Jacoby Brissett at QB. And the coaching staff really appreciated how he played at QB. So is it, who knows, is Matt Ryan have nowhere to go after his performance with Indy and they give him a one year and just let him soak up some salary before he goes away? I don't know. Obviously the offense would be different. You'd have to take out some of the mobility things for the QB, but... Matt Ryan can run a pro offense, at least I think so. Then again, I thought that coming into the season as well. We'll see. Uh, More than likely, it'll be somebody maybe like a Taylor Heineke 
on a one-year. I think he'd want to start somewhere, but the opportunity to prove it again, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, moving on to number seven, my standout seven. I want to talk about this weird Jadevian Clowney situation in Cleveland. So there's a quote here of Jadevian Clowney on the Browns. You're all trying to get, and then parenthetical, Miles Garrett, into the Hall of Fame instead of winning games. Miles Garrett on Clowney's comments, we want volunteers, not hostages. Essentially, obviously, saying, you know, if you don't want to be here, don't be here, dude. Like, you signed to play here. This is this is not conscription. This is not the military. You know, we didn't draft you into here. You were drafted by another team. You chose to be here. So, when your contract is up, or when we get to the offseason, vamos. You know what I mean? Get out of there. A very weird situation. And let's, let's be honest. I, I floated this. I believe it was last year, if not the year before, if not both. Jadevian Clowney is a bust. He, he's a massive bust. I mean, he's been a productive NFL player. Maybe massive is over overstating it. Who am I? You know, if, and I can guarantee you, because I've seen the way stuff like this plays out, right? If, if he were to hear me saying, they say, well, who are you? Yeah, I get it. That's fair. That's a fair point. But I'm not denying that, buddy. You were drafted to be an elite pass rusher, and you've never had 10 sacks. Never. Now, look, you've still got years ahead of you. This was your age 29 season. You could play another decade. I don't know. But usually you have more sacks in the first half of your career than the second half. You're sitting at, what, nine years, 43 sacks? I believe that's probably counting his first year, which was injury-shortened. But, come on, Clowney. Decent player. I mean, he's turned into more of a, a, a run-stopper in some of these stints. I mean, he was playing outside linebacker, and he had J.J. Watt on the same defense as him, and he never got 10 sacks. I mean, if you look right now, and I'll pull these up live, obviously, I mean, there, there's years there where he had less sacks than Whitney Merciless, and this is not a dig at Whitney Merciless. He's a pretty talented player. But Whitney Merciless was not a number one pick. Like, what are we doing? Also... Just realized, shout out to Whitney Merciless, we have the same birthday. But, you know, he was a first-round pick, but he was not a literal number one draft pick. You know, he wasn't the guy that was hyped up out of college. Obviously, this isn't Clowney's fault, right? Hype comes from what you do. It doesn't necessarily come because of you, right? Your performance can build the hype. And that hit that he laid in college is still the best highlight of his career, right? And... That's kind of hard to believe, considering how long he's been around, but it's weird. He'll find somewhere to play. He's still a pretty decent player, but he has not lived up to the billing in the slightest. In the slightest. Had to mention that in there, because that was bizarre to me. I mean, you couldn't wait another week where you wouldn't even have to see these guys. You're not going to the playoffs. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, another one I wanted to throw in here that I thought was kind of spicy. Um... In the Packers-Vikings game, and this is obviously news and notes portion before we move into the pick portion of the show. So, I should have mentioned this earlier, but early-ish in that game, there was a throw to Justin Jefferson, which was either broken up or off target, and we saw Jair Alexander hitting the gritty. Damn near right in front of him. And after the game, Jefferson said, I thought that was a taunting call. It is what it is. 
He does stuff like that to try and get in my head. Even from his comment leading into the game, it's just talk. Okay, well, I'd say one, 100% that was taunting. I agree, wholeheartedly. Right? Wholeheartedly, that was taunting. Just like the, the awful Kayvon Thibodeau thing against the, uh, the, the Colts when Nick Foles was injured, that wasn't taunting as much, in my opinion, as unnecessary whatever. You know, bad sportsmanship penalty. Throw the flag. I don't believe it was necessarily trying to taunt Nick Foles on the ground, though the look of doing the sleepy celebration on the sideline. I was, oh, but Steph Curry does it. Yeah, but Steph Curry doesn't hit people for a living and leave them on the ground. Right? Like, it's not really one-to-one. Um, yeah, the Kayvon Thibodeau thing was... We don't need to go into that, right? Like, it's it's apparent, and I know I'm a New York guy, so maybe I should be... People will think I'll cape up. It was not a good look at all. Um, thankfully, at least from what I've heard, there was no massive injury to Nick Foles. Otherwise, really could have been an awful look. You also take a look at the fact after the game, Jeff Saturday, of course, he's standing up for his guys, and he's probably disappointed none of his guys did anything while this guy was celebrating next to his quarterback on the ground. Um, and then Thibodeau saying, I don't even know who Jeff Saturday is. I mean, how young is Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Like, I know I'm, I'm the elder statesman here, I guess. But, like, Jeff Saturday was a was a center with the Colts for years and into the Packers, right? Like, he was born in 2000. Jeff Saturday was still playing while you were a kid watching football. And people saying, like, you know, oh, well, who, who knows who knows the center of a, of a football team? Well, a lot of people, when he's somebody like Jeff Saturday, like, this guy's, like, you know, Pro Bowl caliber center. Like, do you know, do you know Orlando Pace? You know what I mean? Like... Do you, do you know Quentin Nelson nowadays? It's the same thing. Like to say, I don't know him. I don't worry about it. Like, dude, come on. You didn't have to get defensive about it. You didn't have to... Alright, whatever. That's all I'll say on that one. Um, the Jair Alexander thing is hilarious to me, though. I think it was taunting. And I, I do think, and there's a lot of people that saw this quote and agreed, that he's he does that stuff to get in my head. Yeah, it works. Clearly, if you're still talking about it after the game, yeah, you got in your head. Like, come on. Let's be realistic here. I mean, Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Some people would argue the best. He had one catch for 15 yards in a game where they could have knocked out a division rival. They could have knocked out the big brother of the division. Not what you want. And you want to blame it on Kirk Cousins? Fair enough. 100%. I mean, he played bad. Definitely. But one grab? Come on now. What are we doing? Also interesting... Or funny, I should say, that the the screenshot I was sent of this was reportedly, or I shouldn't say reportedly, there's nobody reporting on this stuff, supposedly liked by Lamar Jackson, which I think is kind of hilarious. Um, That'll bring us to the end of the standout seven and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of this week's episode. We're going to get started with Saturday afternoon action. Today, 4.30, the Kansas City Chiefs head to Vegas to take on the Raiders and potentially lock up their one seed or neutral site or whatever. Either way, the Chiefs are going to be without wide receiver Sky Moore with a hand injury in this one. Questionable, their kicker Harrison Butker with a back. Wide receiver Mecole Hardman with a pelvis injury. Offensive lineman Joe Tooney with an ankle and corner Legereus Sneed with a hip. Raiders going to be without linebacker Darian Butler with a concussion and questionable 
their star running back, Josh Jacobs, with a hip-slash-oblique injury. Upcoming free agency, I tend to think they should sit him out of this one, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm going to take Kansas City either way. If he plays or not, I think Kansas City wants to lock up that one seed, and I'm using air quotes here, because you never know what's going to happen come playoff time, right? It's a situation where it could be a neutral site if it's Buffalo-Kansas City, but who knows how it's going to go if Buffalo has to play, you know, insert team here. Right now, a Kansas City win would lock up the bye. There was rumors being floated. I don't know how, how much credence there is to this, by the way. There was rumors being floated, supposedly, that they were kicking around the idea of going to eight teams and just eliminating the bye, which would be fair. I don't necessarily think that's fair. I think that's making everyone have a harder time. I think Buffalo would have a significant claim to the bye, right? They'd say, we would have got there. We would have we found a way to beat the Bengals. And Kansas City would say, no, you wouldn't have. We would have got it. And Cincinnati would say, no. We would have took the air out of Buffalo's tires, and then we would have, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Either way, as we stand right now, if Buffalo were to stay at the two-seed, because Kansas City wins, Buffalo would have to take on the lowest wild card, which right now is New England, though we'll pick the games and we'll talk playoffs and playoff matchups as we move through here. Either way, we're taking the Chiefs on the road. Next, the AFC South matchup I alluded to before. The Tennessee Titans head to TIAA Bank Field Saturday night football to take on the Jaguars and determine the fourth seed, the division winner of the AFC South. Titans are going to be without corner Devontae Harris with a hamstring injury, also without Ryan Tannehill, as we said before. Questionable for this one, wide receiver Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks. I believe it's Traylon. Apologies if it's not. Uh, been saying it all season. With a groin injury, as well as offensive lineman Nick Petit-Frere with an ankle, linebacker Dylan Cole with an ankle, and two in the defensive backfield, Christian Fulton at corner with a groin, and safety Imani Hooker with a knee. Laundry list of players on the Jaguar side, all listed as questionable. Their long snapper, Ross Matisic, with a back injury. Their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, with a toe injury. Offensive lineman Brandon Scherf with an abdomen slash ankle. D-lineman Foley Fatukasi with an ankle. Their high draft pick outside linebacker Trayvon Walker with an ankle. And two safeties, Rayshon Jenkins and Andrew Wingard, both with shoulder injuries. Um, Notably, Derrick Henry not on the injury report. He's going to be go. Going to be a go, rather, for the Tennessee Titans. He will shoulder the load for them offensively. I think they will mix in some shenanigans plays for Malik Willis. I I don't know if they necessarily even really have a choice. They need to, because the last time they faced off against the Jaguars, they gave up 30-plus, and for them to get to that 30-plus point, it's either going to be Derrick Henry really carrying them on their back, or Josh Dobbs kind of throwing some stuff in there, or, as I said, Willis coming in and making some plays with his athleticism, big arm, big speed sort of thing. However... I am going to take the Big Cats to win this one. The Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, will be hosting a playoff game in my book. They will be hosting the, well, likely, Los Angeles Chargers in what would be a spicy matchup between two high-level QB, 
would you call them prospects? Herbert's there already, and Trevor's getting there. They're both not at their peak, I would imagine, obviously. But in terms of when they were coming into the draft, they were very high-ranked. So, very good show. And we're going to get that show, because i got the Jaguars winning at home. Next, into the Sunday slate of games, we're going to get started with a 1 o'clock kick between the Cleveland Browns and the playoff hopeful Pittsburgh Steelers. Still alive, folks. Uh, this one's coming from Not Heinz Field. The Browns going to be without offensive lineman Jack Conklin with an ankle, as well as D-lineman Isaiah Thomas with a foot. No relation, I imagine. Questionable corner Denzel Ward with a shoulder. Also questionable, I presume, Jadevian Clowney. Probably wouldn't go in this one after that weird thing that happened with Miles Garrett, but who knows. Uh, Steelers going to be without safety Trey Norwood with a hammy. Questionable linebacker Miles Jack with a groin. And safety, huge one, Minka Fitzpatrick with an ankle injury. I'm going to take Pittsburgh in this one. I think they've got some magic on their side. I don't really know how to quantify it here, but... They find ways to win games. I think Kenny Pickett is kind of growing up in front of us. And I said going into the draft, I thought he was pretty good. I was surprised he slipped so far. It fit in Pittsburgh. They got him. You know what? This would be a huge one to win the fans over if he could find a way to at least get them into a tiebreaker situation at the end of the season for the playoffs. Now, I remind you, as we sit right now, Pittsburgh is the third 7-8-9. They are the 9 seed. So they would need... A Jets victory over the Dolphins. Jets who are eliminated, by the way. They would need a Bills victory over the Patriots. And then they would need to win over the Browns to improve to 9-8 and eight and be the 7 seed. I know. Kind of interesting. I wonder, I don't know the answer to this question, I will just think aloud. I wonder if there is a scenario here where if Jacksonville loses, they go to 8-9. and nine, can they be the wild card if everyone else loses? Right? I'm not sure. Because if Buffalo wins, New England's 8-9. and nine. If the Jets win, Miami's 8-9. and nine. If Cleveland wins, the Steelers are 8-9. and nine. Well, who has tiebreaker Jacksonville versus New England? I don't necessarily have an answer to that, by the way. I'm floating that out. Let me go, you guys, social media, wherever. I don't believe these two teams have faced off this season which would mean tiebreaker, I presume, would be division record or conference record. The Patriots in their division, let's see if we can get some extended standings here. Head to NFL.com, who better than the official league. Patriots coming in at 3-2 and two in the division, a loss would put them at 3-3. Three and three. A loss would also put Jaguars, the Jaguars, at 3-3. Three and three. Their conference record... Jacksonville is seven and four. New England, well, it would be seven and five. New England would slip to six and six. So I tend to think the tiebreak would go to Jacksonville. I don't know. It'd be weird because this would put. Let's see. New England would be above Miami by way of division record if they both lost. They'd tie in conference record. Then you'd have Pittsburgh, who would have a two and four division record, which would be even lower. I think Jacksonville would need everyone to lose to get in. I don't think they'll have that problem, though, as I've got them, obviously, winning before. But Pittsburgh fans, if you're looking at scenarios, there's your there's your lane. You need two L's. You're rooting for Buffalo, and you're rooting for the Jets. Next, keeping it in the AFC North and keeping it in the 1 o'clock window, the Baltimore Ravens, still not led by Lamar Jackson, head to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals, who they may 
also be facing the following weekend. The only one listed as out for this game for Baltimore is, in fact, Lamar Jackson with a knee injury. Questionable. Quarterback Tyler Huntley with a shoulder-slash-wrist. Wide receiver Deshaun Jackson with an illness. D-lineman Calais Campbell with a knee and three corners. Marcus Peters with a calf. Keon Seymour with a finger-slash-illness. And Brandon Stevens with an illness as well. Questionable for the Bengals, Eli Apple with a neck injury. Now, this is a weird spot for both teams. Because as we sit right now, technically, the Bengals can move into a tie with only Buffalo. They can't catch Kansas City. To my knowledge here, 13 out of 17 is still better than 12 out of 16, I believe. Um, If Kansas City wins, they're the one seed. So Cincinnati can move into a decent spot, but they've clinched the division by way of the canceled game. So how much is Baltimore really going to try in this game? As we said before, it's the difference between being the 5 or the 6, and the Chargers, who they are chasing, are playing the Denver Broncos, who are 4-12. and 12. So, mm, not sure how much you want to try. I'm going to give it to Cincinnati in this one. I think they're going to try and stay sharp and push into another playoff run like they had last year. Give me the Bengals to win this one at home. And, you know clinch their division. I tend to think they'd be celebrating more after this win than clinching by de facto um, like they did after the postponement slash cancellation. From the AFC North to the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are on the road against the Chicago Bears in the 1 o'clock slot. Vikings going to be without their center Garrett Bradbury with a back injury and their nose tackle James Lynch with a shoulder. Questionable, linebacker Zadarius Smith with a personal matter. Linebacker Brian Asamoah with a knee and corner Cameron Dantzler with an ankle injury. Out for the Bears, two on the defensive side. Sterling Weatherford with an illness and DB Jalen Jones with a concussion, as well as their starting QB Justin Fields. Questionable, D-tackle Angelo Blackson with an illness. Linebacker Terrell Lewis with a personal matter. And corner Kyler Gordon with a groin injury. I'm going to take the Vikings in this one. I was really thinking of leaning Bears, but with the backup QB being Nathan Peterman, I am not taking Nathan Peterman, no matter if he's facing the Vikings, no matter if they're playing on the moon. Give me the Vikings to win this one on the road. Next, an important AFC East matchup. The Patriots head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Patriots, questionable. Wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a shoulder injury. Tight end Jonu Smith with a concussion. Three DBs, Jalen Mills with a groin, Jonathan Jones with a chest, and Brandon Schuler with a hip injury. Bills injury report on NFL.com listed as N.A. I'm going to take the Bills in this one, therefore pushing New England out of the playoff picture and, you know, keep keeping hold of what would have been their one seed, keeping their momentum going towards the postseason. Next, AFC East again. One o'clock kick, the New York Jets head to Miami to take on the Dolphins in a backup quarterback bowl. Jets going to be without three O-linemen in this one. Dwayne Brown with a shoulder, George Fant with a knee, and guard Nate Herbig with a calf injury, as well as two in their defensive backfield. Brandon Eccles with a quad and safety LaMarcus Joyner with a hip. Questionable, though I've heard he's not going to go in this one. QB Mike White with a rib injury. Tight end CJ Uzoma with an ankle. Another O-lineman, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif with a knee and two safeties, Ashton Davis with an ankle, and Jordan Whitehead with a hammy. The Dolphins going to be without quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, who's still in the concussion protocol for obvious reasons. 
Doubtful wide receiver Sed Wilson with a hip injury. Two O-linemen, Kendall Lamb with an ankle, and Teron Armstead with a a laundry list that keeps getting longer every week. This week he's listed with a toe, pectoral, knee, and hip injury. Questionable. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater with a knee injury slash, obviously, the dislocated pinky he's recovering from. Fullback Alec Ingold with a thumb. Outside linebacker Bradley Chubb with an ankle slash hand. And two DBs, Xavier Howard with a knee and safety Eric Rowe with a quad injury. I'm going to take Miami in this one. It's a little weird because I don't know if Teddy's going to go. I think it's going to be more Skylar Thompson and maybe some Mike Glennon, which is nothing you really want to see if you're a Dolphin fan. They're going to be going up against Joe Flacco. They're not even going to start Zach Wilson in this game. He was supposed to be inactive, and then they said that we're going to go with Mike White. Then they're like, eh, no, we're not going to go with Mike White. We're going to go with Flacco. I don't know. Is this a swan song for Flacco? Is this the last game we'll ever see him? I don't know. He's, he's had a good career, but, like, he's not a Jet. You don't have to give him a swan song. It's a little weird. You should probably just throw Zach Wilson out there and see what you get, but what are you going to do? Give me the Dolphins, I guess, to win this one at home. Next, we head to the NFC South, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, This game is relatively meaningless. Tampa Bay can't really, well, can't at all move up in the playoff standings, but Atlanta can move down in that NFL draft order. Falcons, the home team here, going to be without their left guard, Elijah Wilkinson, with a calf injury. Buccaneers going to be without Donovan Smith with a foot on the offensive line, Vita Vea on the defensive line with a calf, as well as Carl Nassib with a pectoral injury. And two DBs, Carl Davis, Carlton Davis, excuse me, the third with a shoulder, and Logan Ryan with a knee. Questionable, Julio Jones with a knee. Corner, Jamel Dean with a toe. Safety, Mike Edwards with a hammy and a hip. I don't think Tampa Bay is really going to take this one too seriously. It's a tune-up game. They may play the starters a half. I'm going to take Atlanta to win this one. Leave a good taste in their fans' mouths moving into the offseason at home. Keeping it in division, we've got the Carolina Panthers heading to Nolens to take on the Andy Dalton-led Saints. I'm still really surprised they played Andy Dalton the whole year. Um, questionable for the Panthers, running back Deontay Foreman with a knee injury, 2D lineman Matt Ioannidis with a back, and Brian Burns with an ankle. On the Saints' side of the field, they're going to be without offensive lineman Andrus Pete with an ankle injury, and corner Paulson Adebo with a hammy. Questionable, tight end Juwan Johnson with a quad, X-Factor tight end QB hybrid Taysom Hill with a back injury, fellow offensive lineman Ryman, Ryan Ramchek with a hip slash, honestly, rest because they're not playing for anything, and offensive lineman James Hurst with a foot injury. On the defensive side, two safeties, Justin Evans with a shoulder and Marcus May with a shoulder, as well as linebacker Ty Summers with an oblique injury. I don't know. Who do you want me to take in this one, folks? I mean, this is kind of a meaningless game. I'm not necessarily sure who's going to come out on top. We'll take the Saints because they're playing in New Orleans. Carolina wound up losing last week. You know what? Good enough for me. I mean, Carolina put a beat down on the Detroit Lions, and I thought they might have a chance to piece it together, but slinging Sammy didn't really do it for me. Give me the red rifle at home, and who knows how many more games he'll have to start in his NFL career. Our final 1 o'clock kick is an AFC South battle that doesn't mean a darn thing unless you're looking forward to the draft as the Houston Texans head to Indy to take on the Colts. Texans going to be without wide receiver Philip Dorsett, former Colt, with a hamstring injury, as well as D-lineman Jimmy Morrissey with a concussion. Questionable, tight end O.J. Howard with a hip. D-lineman Ogbenaya Okoronkwo with an illness. 
and DB Steven Nelson with an illness as well. Colt's going to be without Nick Foles with the rib injury we saw he sustained last week. Speaking of the Kayvon Thibodeau play, and tight end Kylan Granson with an ankle. Questionable, two corners, Brandon Faison with a concussion, and Stephon Gilmore with a wrist. I'm actually going to take Houston in this one. The Colts have made 17 quarterback changes as well as a coaching change. Houston now and again looks decent. Give me the Texans to win this one on the road. Into the 425 time slot, the NFC West takes the stage as the Arizona Cardinals take on the San Francisco 49ers. As we said, Cardinals not really playing for much but draft spots, but the San Francisco 49ers need a win to secure their two seed, or if the Eagles lose, they can potentially vault up, depending on how things shake out in terms of tiebreakers, depending on if the Cowboys win. We'll see how things go. Uh, either way, injury report-wise, they're going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously, as well as O-lineman Aaron Banks with an ankle injury, D-lineman Kevin Givens with a knee injury, linebacker Dre Greenlaw with a back, and corner Ambry Thomas with an ankle. Questionable, two D-linemen, Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw. The Cardinals are going to be without quite a few players here, and I'm not necessarily sure it matters, but in case you are in a really prolonged fantasy league, let's go through them. Uh, they're going to be without Colt McCoy with a concussion, Wide receiver Robbie Anderson with a back injury, who's been a little bit of a dud of an acquisition, if we're being honest. Good player, but it just hasn't worked out. Uh, as well as wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins with a knee. No reason to send him out there in a game that really doesn't mean anything. On the defensive side, they're going to be without DN Zach Allen with a hand injury. Linebacker Zayvon Collins with a calf. Corners Marco Wilson with a neck and Antonio Hamilton with a hip. As well as, I don't think I mentioned James Conner with a knee-slash-shin injury. Questionable, even more players. D-lineman Lecky Fotu with a shoulder. Linebacker Victor Dimikuje with an illness. Linebacker Tanner Vallejo with a knee and a wrist. And corner Josh Jackson with a hammy. We're just being thorough at this point. I'm taking San Francisco to win this one on the road. I was taking them at full strength. I'm taking them at half strength. Give me San Francisco to make the one seed a little bit interesting. Next, the Dallas Cowboys head to Washington to take on, yup, Taylor Heineke again, and the Washington Commanders. Cowboys can be without their center, Tyler Biadas, with an ankle injury. I don't think I pronounced that right. I'm sorry, Tyler, wherever you are. But, uh, wow. As well as linebacker Leighton Vander Esch with a back. Questionable wide receiver Cavante Turpin with an illness. Commanders got to be without quite a few players here. Running back Brian Robinson with a knee. Offensive lineman Cornelius Lucas with an ankle, as well as Sadiq Charles with a concussion. D-lineman James Smith-Williams with a concussion. Jonathan Allen with a knee. And corner Benjamin St. Juice with an ankle injury. Questionable. Offensive lineman Andrew Norwell with a hip. Two linebackers, Jimin Davis and Nathan Gary with a knee and illness respectively. And safety Cam Curl with an ankle injury. We're taking the Cowboys to win this one on the road. Next, we head into the game that kind of decides the wild card before the game that decides the wild card for the NFC. The Rams heading to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. Rams going to be without wide receiver Ben Skaronic with a calf injury, center Brian Allen with a calf as well, D-lineman Aaron Donald with an ankle, and DB Nick Scott with a shoulder. Seahawks, doubtful, running back Travis Homer with an ankle, questionable, wide receiver Tyler Lockett with a shin. Remember, he was battling... Another injury a couple weeks ago as well. Uh, 2-0 lineman Damian Lewis with an ankle and Phil Haynes with an ankle. D-lineman Quinton Jefferson with an illness and safety Ryan Neal with a knee injury. I think this one could be closer than it should be if we're being honest. 
but I'm going to take the Seahawks to win this one on the road and I believe, via tiebreak, eliminate the Detroit Lions from the wild card contention, meaning they were in it until their very last game, which honestly, considering their roster, considering what this franchise has been through, considering they, you know, their star receiver retired early, they traded their star quarterback, Nadamakung Su left, like, this was a great year for them. And I think, realistically, you want to win the Super Bowl as often as you can, right? It's always the goal, but if you're being real with yourself, this is a heck of a year for them. Give me Seattle to win this one and put a little less pressure on them in that Sunday night game. Next, determining the one seed, the New York Giants head to Philly to take on the Eagles, who, as of right now, are listing Jalen Hurts as questionable. Giants going to be without D-lineman Leonard Williams with a neck and linebacker Aziz Ojolari with an ankle. Doubtful, corner Adoree Jackson with a knee and questionable center John Feliciano with a back. Worth noting, earlier in the week, Brian Dable said that they would be playing their starters, but there were some murmurs recently that that wasn't necessarily going to be the whole game or might not even be at all. We'll see when push comes to shove. 425 on Sunday. Eagles going to be without linebacker Sean Bradley with a wrist injury, corner of Ante Maddox with a toe, 2D lineman Josh Sweat with a neck, and Janarius Robinson with an ankle as well, and offensive lineman Lane Johnson with a groin injury. The aforementioned Jalen Hurts, questionable obviously with the shoulder. I'm going to take Philly in this one because they need to win. They need to win. If Philly doesn't win this game, by the way, and Dallas wins against the Commanders, the Dallas Cowboys would vault all the way up, right? We're talking tiebreaker. They would vault over the Vikings. I'm not certain how tiebreak would go between them and the San Francisco 49ers, but at the least, they're looking at the two seed, potentially the one seed. Philly would drop all the way down to the five, where they would have deja vu all over again, because they'd have to go on the road to face Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, just like they did last year. Now, would it be nice for them to exercise some demons? Perhaps. I think they're the better team. They were the hotter team for the bulk of the year, but I don't know right now. Obviously, with Jalen have been on the sideline for so long, we'd see how that would play out, but maybe that is the storybook way to do it. Obviously, they don't want it to be. I think they beat the Giants. They lock up the one seed, finally, at home. Next, our final 425 kick, the L.A. Chargers take on the Denver Broncos, uh, putting the Broncos out of their misery, so to speak. Chargers just one questionable fullback Xander Horvath with an ankle. Broncos going to be without wide receiver Kendall Hinton with a chest-slash-foot. Offensive lineman Calvin Anderson with an ankle and D-lineman DJ Jones with a knee. Questionable two tight ends Eric Soybert with a knee, Eric Tomlinson with an ankle. Offensive lineman Billy Turner with a back injury. Outside linebacker Jonathan Kongbo, great name, with an illness. And corner Damari Mathis with a concussion. I'm going to take the Chargers. I was wondering if the Chargers might not necessarily be playing everybody, but here's the weird spot that they're in, right? So let's say that the Bengals beat the Ravens, right? Remind you, that game is a 1 o'clock kick. So with this game being a 425 kick, they could say, all right, we don't need to win to be the number one wild card anymore which means they could start pulling starters during this game. You know what I mean? Play about a quarter, play a drive. 
if Baltimore wins, they could wind up in a weird spot where they want to stay in this place to face either the Titans or the Jaguars so they don't have to drop down and face what would then be Cincinnati as the three, then be 3-6 because they would, you know, loss win. Uh, that being said, I think realistically the Broncos are, are really going uphill in this one. Give me the Chargers to win and lock up that top wild card spot. That brings us to Sunday Night Football, the final NFL regular season game. The Detroit Lions heading to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. I'm hoping this one's going to be a good one. Who knows, if Seattle loses, this one could be for all the marbles in that wild card. Lions going to be without offensive lineman Coyote Awasika with an ankle injury. Questionable fullback Jason Cabinda with a knee. Center Frank Ragnow with a foot. D-lineman Michael Brockers with an ankle. Jeff Akuda at corner with an elbow injury and safety Deshaun Elliott with a shoulder. For the Packers, just one questionable tight end Josiah DeGuara with a calf injury. Now, realistically, I think this this game might shift based on who wins the Seattle game. Because if Seattle loses and opens the door for Detroit, they don't have to be as, you know, over-aggressive as they've been sometimes. They can be a little bit more conservative with their, like, you know, if they if Seattle wins and Detroit is eliminated, they're going to be going for it early in this game. I don't doubt it. They're going to be as aggressive as possible. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Why not, right? It's not going to be like a few years ago where the last game was the NFC East game and they yanked the quarterback out of the game, which completely determined the division for the Washington Commanders. That's probably not going to happen in this one, I would argue. Um though, I've been surprised before. That being said, all things equal, I think Green Bay's on a little bit of a run. I think Green Bay's at home. I know that one. I think Green Bay's going to put the ball on the ground 25, 30 times. Aaron Rodgers will make just enough plays, and the Green Bay Packers will sneak in as the final playoff team to clinch a playoff berth. Looking at our predictions for this week, let's wrap it up. Obviously, we'll do postseason predictions next week, and then when we get to Pro Bowl week, we'll do end-of-year awards. As we stand off of my picks, the seeding is as follows. We've got the Philadelphia Eagles as the one seed in the National Football Conference. We've got the 49ers as the two, the Vikings as the three, the Bucks as the four, Cowboys at five, Giants at six, And with my picks, the Green Bay Packers at 7, which would put the NFC Super Wild Card matchups as the 49ers hosting the Packers, the Vikings hosting the Giants, and the Buccaneers hosting the Cowboys. On the other side of the bracket, the American Football Conference. I've got Kansas City as my 1, Buffalo as my 2, Cincinnati at my 3, the Jaguars at 4, the Chargers at 5, the Ravens at 6, and my 7 seed would be, following the Bills beating the Jets, would be the Miami Dolphins backing in. Now look, Pittsburgh fan, I think this game could go either way. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers could sneak in. However, what are they sneaking into? The seven seed for me would be Miami. If it were Pittsburgh, would be going directly to Buffalo. 
to take on the Buffalo Bills. The Cincinnati Bengals would be not playing host, or maybe playing host, to the Baltimore Ravens because they'd have to flip a coin. Who gets to call the coin toss, by the way? Was that discussed? I don't know if that was discussed. It's a coin. Where, where are they going to toss the coin? At the league office? I'm confused. Are they going to meet in between the state? Why don't they play that as a neutral site game? Huh? They could play all the other ones as neutral site games. They're still not going to be doing a damn thing in Atlanta that weekend. Well, college football playoff coming up. Not sure when that date is, but that's a Monday. Play it, play it in Indy. Who cares? Either way. Whatever. Cincinnati and Baltimore will be facing off somewhere on the world. Um, and I will have the Jaguars hosting a playoff game against the L.A. Chargers. That would be a fun slate of games. It's been a fun season. I hope you all enjoyed being along for the ride. I certainly did. Uh, hope you're going to enjoy one last crazy weekend of regular season NFL football. If you're watching one game, two game, three games, if you're watching an Octabox on NFL Red Zone, it should be a fun one. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, episode number 157. What a number. Of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again. Next weekend, we'll break down week 18. We'll talk super wild card weekend. We'll talk about how crazy things are going to be. Are we going to get neutral site playoff games before the Super Bowl for what is first time in NFL history I can remember that's not due to natural disaster, snow collapsing a stadium or or hurricanes or things like that. Um, Could be crazy, folks. Join us then. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.